Daniel chapter 7. Daniel 7, we'll be looking at verses 13 and 14 this morning. It can be found on page 745 in the Pew Bible. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. 745 in the Pew Bible. Verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask this morning for wisdom, for insight into your word. We ask that you would open up our hearts and minds to receive your word this morning, that you would speak to us through it, that Christ would be exalted this morning in and through us and through the proclamation of your word. Might we rightly apply this to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had a high point in your life where you had some sort of mountaintop experience? Life just couldn't get any better. Life was amazing in that moment. Maybe it was opening up a Christmas gift that you had been longing for. Maybe it was a vacation that you took. Maybe it was a championship game where you came out on top. Or a phone call about a job. Maybe it was a birthday or a birthday party. Or a wedding day. Or the birth of a child. It is often the case in life that we experience these high points in life. And, and this, this time of year, right, it's often the case as well with, with children. Each year as we get closer and closer to Christmas. I imagine for many, Christmas is the peak. It is that peak. Each year you begin to look forward to Christmas in July, right? You start thinking about Christmas back in July even. The anticipation, the build-up, the countdown, the moment, that moment in time where the wait is finally over and you reach that peak. You see, in every story, every story has this sort of climactic moment. Every story reaches that, that point in time. The plot of a story reaches a climax. In Daniel 7, in Daniel, and in Daniel 7, we reach the climax of the story. We reach the, the climax of history, really, in some sense. Daniel 7 is structured with a vision, right? You recall this, this is Daniel's vision. He has this vision. He reports the vision, which we saw last week. And then we're given the interpretation of the vision in the actions that follow. But right here in the middle, right? The report of the vision, the interpretation of the vision. Right here in the middle, we, we have this, this high point, and it's not repeated, Everything is drawn into this point. In fact, it's quoted, cited, or even alluded to in the New Testament more than any other section in the book of Daniel. 
It's Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Having heard of the vision of four beasts and the throne of God as judgment would come upon those beastly kingdoms, their, their reign shall come to an end. Their kingdoms will pass, pass away no matter how terrifying they are or feel like. We now arrive at this climax, the place where Daniel has really been leading us to all along. Daniel 7, 13 and 14, in the dominion of the Son, the reign of the Son of Man. And that's what I want us to, I want to unpack for you this morning, and then we'll consider some of the practical implications at the end. So first, the, the presentation of the Son of Man. The presentation of the Son of Man. The Son of Man is presented to the Ancient of Days. Notice verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. Well, as we consider this verse, we recognize this is, again, part of Daniel's vision. In the previous verses, which we looked at last week, he had a vision of four beasts followed by the throne of God. It was a vision of these beasts coming out of the sea, out of the disorder and the chaotic sea of humanity. Four beasts, which stand for four kings and kingdoms. This vision is a divine perspective on the kings and kingdoms of this world that were to come. While the vision in chapter 2, which you recall from Nebuchadnezzar, that Nebuchadnezzar had, saw, had seen, it, that gave us, chapter 2 gave us a vision of, of, from man's perspective of those same four kingdoms. Remember how Nebuchadnezzar saw them? They're beautiful. They're precious metals. Gold, silver, bronze, image, iron image. And then it leads then, leads those, that image, right, of gold, silver, bronze, and iron, then is destroyed by this stone that's not made by human hands. It's cut out of a mountain, and it grew up, it, it crushes these, this image, and it grows and fills the whole earth. And that stood for the kingdom of God. And now, four beasts arising out of the chaotic world, the Babylonian kingdom, the Medo-Persian kingdom, the Greek empire, and the Roman empire. And these four kingdoms are beastly, right? They're terrifying. They're ferocious. If you recall the way they're described, or even look now at the way they were described for us. Daniel then has a vision of the throne of God, a throne that was on the move. God was not restricted to one place. And he arrives in judgment of the beasts of these kingdoms of this earth. They will be replaced. And now we learn that what they will be replaced by and who they are replaced by. Daniel saw in his night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. There came one like a son of man. This phrase, son of man, simply means human being. Human being. It became a title or phrase that Jesus would use to refer to himself, right? Right here from Daniel 7. And he would refer to himself in this way in the New Testament, and we'll consider that shortly. Contrasted now with these beasts in the world, and of this world, is a human. 
right? So think about the kingdoms that have been described already. There's a beast, there's a beast, there's a beast, there's a beast, and then there's a human, one like a son of man. This king is different than the ones before him. This one is described as a human being and not as a beast. This human, this son of man will rightly rule. And he will rule as God intended before Adam fell into sin in the Garden of Eden. He will rule the way that God designed before the fall, which is described in Genesis 1, 26-28. And like Psalm 8, the Son of Man will exercise authority over the beasts of the field. A Son of Man, a human being distinct from all others before Him. He is in human form, and yet... He's not a mere, he, he's not a mere man, only a man. He's more than a man. Now, notice another distinction here. It's with the clouds of heaven that the Son of Man arrives at the throne of God. This is contrasted with a beast rising out of the sea. Here's this one, like a Son of Man, with the clouds of heaven. You see a difference? There's a distinction there. He's contrasted with them. This figure comes with the clouds of heaven. Now you might ask, what significance does this have? Why does this matter? It's evident in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, that for one to ride, sit, or be with the clouds of heaven was often associated with God. God's presence was in the cloud in the Exodus. God described, is described as one riding on the clouds in salvation and judgment. Isaiah 19.1 Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt. Psalm 68.4 Sing to God. Sing praises to His name. Lift up a song to Him who rides through the desert. His name is the Lord. Exult before Him. Psalm 104.3 He lays the beams of His chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. The, the clouds signify that this human figure is divine. He's deity. He's associated with God. He is God and he's associated with God. Both human and divine. Right here in Daniel 7, both God and man. And we, we see this to be true in the way he's worshipped and served in the next verse. It is to him, to him that dominion is given, that all should serve or worship him. Which could only be said of God. For God will not give his glory to another. For anyone to be worshipped other than God, it is idolatry. Now who is this God-man? Who is this God-man? It's Jesus. It is Jesus. He is fully God and fully man. Jesus himself claimed to be the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He connects, Jesus will connect in the New Testament the promise of the coming Messiah in Psalm 110 with the Son of Man of Daniel 7. Psalm 110 says this. It's a Psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. 
And then in Mark 14, 62, when, when asked by the high priest, Jesus is asked this, are you the Messiah, right, the Christ? Are you the Messiah, the, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus responded and said this, I am, and you will see the Son of Man, Daniel 7, seated at the right hand of power, Psalm 110, and coming with the clouds of heaven, Daniel 7. And do you know what they did to Jesus after that response? The high priest tore his clothes. He tore his clothes. He thought it was blasphemy. He knew what Jesus was claiming. And then they all condemned Jesus as deserving death. It is the decision to identify himself as the Christ, as the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. It is the decision to identify himself as the fulfillment of the one who would come after these beasts in Daniel 7 that leads to his execution. It's remarkable. The Son of Man, both human and divine, is then presented to the Ancient of Days. Right? Ancient of Days is God the Father here. This refers not to a coming to earth from heaven, but a coming to God in heaven to receive the kingdom and authority as king. The presentation of Jesus to God the Father is an event where Jesus is now vindicated over those who had rejected him. Yes, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. We look forward to that day, don't we? We look forward to the day with great hope and great anticipation of the second coming of Jesus Christ. He will return. He will return. What's happening here in this vision, though, is is the Son of Man in heaven is coming to the Ancient of Days, to God the Father, to receive His kingdom. It is a kingdom that is being established to replace those failed beastly kingdoms of this world. Though the Jews and the disciples of Jesus were ultimately looking for this promised Messiah to defeat the Roman Empire through military conquest, right? They were looking for some sort of military king it would actually come not through fight and might, not through killing, but by dying. It would come through death. It would be centuries before the fall of the Roman Empire, but it would be on the cross and through the cross that the beastly kingdoms of this world would be disarmed and judged and ultimately defeated already, but not yet in its fullness. Christ's death would be sufficient to save his people. He is our king. His death would defeat the enemy of sin, Satan, and death itself. And how do we know this to be true? How do we know that to be true? Because King Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose victorious from the grave on the third day, never to die again. 
And you know what happened after his resurrection? In Acts 1, having appeared to his disciples for 40 days at many times and in many places with many witnesses, he ascends into heaven. Right? Listen to Acts 1. He is lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. They, and they were gazing into heaven as he went. This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And where did he go? What happened? Answer, Daniel 7, 13 and 14. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. He approached the ancient of days. He was led into his presence. And what is he given? What is he given? Second point is this. Second heading is this. The worship of the Son of Man. The Son of Man is given dominion that all should serve him. Notice the first part of verse 14. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. We see here that Jesus is given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. He is given authority, honor, and sovereignty to rule over all the nations of the world. This scene is a, describes the coronation, right? It's the coronation of the Son of Man. It's the coronation of a king by the Ancient of Days having accomplished the will of God the Father on this earth, having obeyed God perfectly, and having sacrificially given his life as a ransom for many, to rescue sinners, to grant forgiveness and freedom and eternal life to all who believe in him, he is now crowned as the sovereign ruler of the world. He is given the right to rule and honor, and the honor to rule and reign at the right hand of God the Father over everything. For God is placing all things under his feet. This rule and reign of Jesus is for the purpose and result that all should serve him. Notice what he says there. That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Now what does it mean to serve him? Throughout Daniel, we've seen this word serve in various contexts. In Daniel 3, with the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, here's what they're asked. Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Here's what they reply. We have no need to answer you on this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. We will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. In the story of Daniel in the lion's den, in Daniel 6, Daniel is described as one who served God continually. So this word serve, it's, it's, tied, it's tied to worship. It's tied to worship. We see this in the New Testament as well, don't we? Romans 12.1 says this, We are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual what? Your spiritual worship, your spiritual service. To serve means to devote one's life to 
or one's efforts to something. It, is, it, means to, it can also mean to pay reverence to or to worship. And Jesus alone is worthy of our worship. His kingdom will be universal. All peoples, nations, and languages will serve and worship Him. Third, the everlasting dominion of the Son of Man. Not only is the kingdom of Christ universal, but it's also eternal. The Son of Man's dominion, it's everlasting. The rule of Jesus is eternal. It lasts forever. Right? He is overall universal. He is overall as king, and he will rule forever as king. Notice the second part of verse 14. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Unlike the kingdoms of this world, unlike these beasts, their empires and their empires, the kingdom of Christ will last forever. His rule and reign is forever and ever. It shall not pass away. It won't be replaced by any king or ruler. You see, the stone, that stone in Daniel 2 that crushed to pieces the various kingdoms in Nebuchadnezzar's dream has now taken over and it grows and fills the whole earth, never to be replaced, never to be destroyed. Jesus shall reign forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And that's what's promised in Luke 1. Luke 1, at his birth. So during the reign of the fourth beast, God sent his son to earth, born of the Virgin Mary, under the rule of the Roman Empire. This is what's announced at his birth by the angel Gabriel. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. What we celebrate at Christmas is the beginning of the fulfillment of Daniel 7. Christmas is the beginning of the arrival of the vision that Jesus would be given the throne of his father David, that he would reign forever and of his kingdom, it will last forever. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. Revelation eleven fifteen says this, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Having begun His reign already, He is coming again and He will rule forever and ever. Jesus is the King. He alone is worthy of our worship. His dominion and kingdom will never pass away. So, what significance does this have for you? Three practical implications I want to draw out for you as we seek to apply this to our lives. Number one, join the kingdom of the Son. Join the kingdom of the Son. Christ's reign is forever. 
and it can't be taken away. Therefore, join his kingdom. Don't look to other kings and other kingdoms to ultimately find your joy and satisfaction in or to find your security in. Don't look to other kings or kingdoms to find solutions to life's problems. Don't spend all your time, energy, and effort on establishing your own little kingdom or on the kingdoms of this world. Instead, join the kingdom that lasts forever. And put all your efforts into a kingdom that will never fade away. Are you a part of that kingdom? Have you submitted to Christ Jesus as King and Lord of your life? Have you prepared room in your heart and life for Him? Is He on the throne of your life? That's the first thing we must do. Since Jesus is the King and since His kingdom will last forever, let's make sure that we become a part of that kingdom. Now you might ask, and I'm glad you asked this, how? How do I join His kingdom? Sean, you said join His kingdom. How do I do that? You can be a part of His kingdom the last forever, of this kingdom that lasts forever, if you would put your trust in him alone as your Lord and Savior. You repent of your sins. You turn away from your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ. You become a part of the kingdom of God. Those who believe in Christ can have the certainty that they belong to the kingdom of Christ. Those who submit to him as their Lord. Through faith in Jesus, we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Son of God. Is He your King? Have you allowed Him to rule over you? One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Make that day today for you. Jesus is the kind of King the kind of ruler that you want and desire. He is a king who died for you. What other king would do such a thing? He sacrificially loves you and he cares for each and every one of you. He rules. He rules not by taking advantage of you, but by freeing you to love and to serve and reign alongside Him. He rules with love and justice and mercy and righteousness. His rule is perfect and He always, always, always does what is right. Join His kingdom. Number two, worship the Son of Man. Worship the Son of Man. Since Jesus is given authority and honor and glory and sovereignty to rule over all 
peoples, nations, and languages, and since they are called to serve him and worship him, and since this is what we will do and should do, let's begin that now. So what does it look like? What does it look like to serve and worship him? There's so much confusion in our day. There's so much confusion on this in our own day. So let me make this clear, and hopefully this will help. To worship and serve Jesus is to ascribe worth to him. To worship Jesus is to ascribe worth to him. Worship is the response of what we value most. Worship is the response of what we value most. We all, every single person in this room, worships or serves something or someone. Worship happens of things that aren't God, which is called idolatry. It's it's the failure, failure to serve and worship God. But for the Christian... It is to give glory to Christ, to give Christ the glory that he alone deserves. Worshiping Jesus means that you exalt him. You make much of him. You lift him up. You declare with your lips and your lives that he is worthy. He is worthy. That's worship. That's service. This happens on Sunday and it happens throughout the week. We have an opportunity to continue to worship Christ here this morning in the way we interact, the way we fellowship with each other, in the way we sit under God's Word. Right? Just think about this. As you sit under God's Word, as you hear God's Word read, you meditate on it, you're like, yes, I agree, I agree, I agree. Worship. That's worship. In the way we pray, in the way we respond to the sermon, in the way we sing, right? As we, the way you meditate on the words that are sung. Maybe you don't, you're not a singer necessarily, but the way you meditate on the words that are sung and say, yes, I agree. Yes, Lord, that is true of you. As you say it in your heart even. You're worshiping. In the way we encourage the kids in the Christmas program. As the way we agree with them as they proclaim the good news of Jesus. And number three, and lastly, so we join his kingdom, we worship him, and number three, share the good news of the kingdom. So we share the good news. One of the ways that we worship and serve Christ is to share the good news of his kingdom, that Christ rules and reigns over all. Since it is true, that all peoples, nations, and languages will serve him, then we can be confident in taking the gospel to the nations. We can take part in going to the nations and peoples and languages of the world. Right? And going to your neighbor. Going to those in our community. Supporting our missionaries. In fact, I was so thankful for that this morning as we heard from one of our missionaries. The nations are coming to us as well. 
we can participate in making Christ known to the nations, taking the message out from us to others, for we too, we too are part of the nations that the gospel has made its way to. We too, in one sense, are part of the fulfillment of the fact that the Son of Man is being worshipped and served. And this is our part. We've heard it already this morning. Jesus would say after his resurrection in Matthew 28 that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's what Jesus said. He rises from the dead. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, what? Go and make disciples of all nations. And then he concludes with this. And behold, I am with you always, always, even to the end of the age. There is no need for us to be afraid while we go. We have a job to do. We face a task unfinished. Let's share the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we can be reminded again and again of the rule and reign of Christ. And so we want to join in this. We want to be a part of his kingdom that will last forever. We want to worship and serve our King. Help us, not just on Sundays, but every day of the week, worship Jesus. And might we share the good news of Jesus this Christmas season. We thank you for him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.